Welcome into another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner with you, Rick Broring with you over Zoom. And Rick, it is just about time. We're about 72 hours away from the start of the 2021-2022 season. How are you feeling? We're getting right down to it. Yeah, I'm great. I feel very refreshed because it's the beginning of the year, but I got a little taste of the back-to-back life going NKU Thursday, Xavier on Friday. So it feels a little bit like basketball's back to me already. There you go. Uh, so let's get right into it here. As any of you listening know, this is going to be our season preview podcast. So first of all, before we get into the schedule, um, we're going to talk about the schedule. We're going to talk about uh, some questions from the message board, some preview for the season. Uh, but first of all, Xavier last night, uh, I mean, a huge win over Fair State in the exhibition. I don't think anybody really surprised by the end score, the result, Fair State Division Two, the Zach Hankins Bowl. Um, but Rick, you and I were both there. Uh, what were your impressions and takeaways? Well, I, I thought the biggest standout to me was Colby Jones. I, I know he didn't score the most points in this game, but from all the preseason hype that we've been putting on Colby Jones, and I've said it multiple times that I think it's possible he ends up being the best player on this team as soon as this year. What we heard about the secret scrimmage against Vanderbilt, it didn't seem like he did a whole lot in terms of being assertive on offense. He had 11 rebounds, which is great. You want to see that out of him. But last night, especially in that first half, we saw Colby take over the game at different points. He was really aggressive driving and making plays early. He found some of his teammates. Uh, then he started scoring himself. He had the the tip dunk that was impressive. And then the uh, Duncan transition. Actually, both of them were more throws than dunks. I, I said that on Twitter. Like, <laughs> yeah. The old Blake Griffin thing where you're like two feet away from the I was rim. Gonna you say, just throw yep. it through the net. Yeah, which yep. I actually like. I think that looks good. It looks cool. So, yeah, Colby, I think, was the biggest takeaway for me. That's like, okay, he looked like he was willing to – be that guy on offense that sort of takes control. And to me, that's a huge key for the team this season. I thought in the second half, it was good to see Kunkel get in there a little bit and, and kind of get into rhythm with some of his scoring because in the first half, he just kind of looked off. Uh, I mean, his shots were out of rhythm. I think he had an air ball at one point um, and it was good in the second half. I think he ended up with 20 points, right? 21. Uh, yeah. I didn't see the 20, 21. I didn't see the final box score, but uh, he ended up with, you know, 20 plus. And it was on some good rhythm shots. And I thought that was good for him in the second half to kind of get in there and get a little confidence built after the first half. Well, he has spurtability, as they call it. Uh, yeah. You know, he he had 16 of the 21 in the second half. And I think it was 13 or 14 of those points came in like the final 10 minutes. So, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he really kind of just blew it up and they didn't play like what the final three or four minutes. Uh, the starters didn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think. For Kunkel to shoot like that was a good sign because he also was the leading scorer in the Vanderbilt scrimmage. So that's now back-to-back outings where Kunkel was the leading scorer for this team. Travis Steele said he's been shooting the ball at a 45% clip during live action and practice, which, you know, what does that mean? Not a whole lot if you don't do it in games. But if you're shooting really well in practice and you shoot really well in the first two games, it's a pretty good sign that Kunkel's feeling well right now. And last year he was... Let's let's just face it. He was awful shooting the basketball from the outside. I've watched the kid since he was a young high school player, and he's always yeah. been a pretty good shooter. And that was not the way he typically shoots the ball last year. So I thought that was a good sign to see him come back, shoot the ball like that, play with confidence because they have some depth on this backcourt for certain. But you need a guy like Adam Kunkel to shoot the ball well, because how well they shoot from three point range is still very much in question, even though they have good guard depth. 
Yeah. And I think that was something you could circle a little bit last night going into the last five minutes or something until Adam got hot. They were shooting whatever it was, 20, a little over 20 percent. Yeah, it was like 15 or 18 percent, I think, with 10 minutes to go in the game. Yeah. And then he started hitting, got up toward 20. And then I think it ended right around 28, 29 percent. So at least it kind of got up there a little bit. But again, you know, you're playing Ferris State. So some of those shots, you know, you create a little bit, you get open and uh Kind of going off of that a little bit. I was not at Musketeer Madness. I did not see the scrimmage. I was at a wedding. You were, though. Uh, was there anything to take away from that? I know that was a week ago already, but anything quickly to kind of take away from that that you remember? One of the guys that obviously stood out in the exhibition was Dwan Odom. I didn't think anything he did was too spectacular in this game because, let's face it, he's a top 50 recruit for a reason. He's a tremendous athlete, and Fair State had no one that could keep him in front. So when, when yeah. he was scoring those 20 points, a lot of it was him blowing guys doors off that really have no <laughs> chance of guarding him. That won't happen a whole lot when they get into real play, but it will happen some. I mean, he is that good of an athlete and he's uh, decisive with the ball. And the thing about him, and we'll probably get into this more later when we talk about some of the questions from the message board, but Dwan, his teammates know he's looking for them. He's such a good playmaker. And he, and he get, when he gets in the lane, guys are ready for a pass to come their way. And that, that seems to be a good thing for an offense to have when they know their point guard is going to find them. And everyone is, is spotting up on the perimeter spacing to get to a spot where the big men are making themselves available for a pass. Your offense usually flows pretty well. And I definitely see that when Dwan's in the game, I think he he's done a good job of, of running the offense. One of the guys that I think is going to be really important. And I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on throughout the preseason is Jerome Hunter. What were your thoughts on seeing Jerome Hunter for the first time in person last night? Well, he's he stepped out. I, I was kind of I mean, we, we saw last year at Indiana, you know, his ability to kind of shoot a little bit, stretch things out. And last night there were a couple of times you know, he stepped out, took some shots that, you know, I don't know, were a little contested. Maybe I felt like he was kind of trying to force it a little bit. Um but at the same time, I thought offensively, kind of when he got down low too, I, I didn't think he played particularly I I I couldn't get a, a great read on him. Um, just I remember, you know, a couple of times watching him in practice, it was the same kind of thing where I, I thought he played. Uh, I thought he played pretty well last night, but at the same time, there were a couple of kind of shots that made me think, okay, well, you know, it's just an exhibition. Um, but still, I, I think what did he end up? How many points did he end up with? I didn't see. I think he had nine and seven. Okay, yeah. So that that I to me the way he was able to kind of get down low, use his body a little bit. I didn't think Ferris state had a ton of size. So he was able to kind of get down there a little bit. Um, but no, I, I thought he played uh, decently. And I think he's somebody that you could kind of see last night with some of those sparks offensively. And, and if he can hit that shot too, to kind of stretch things out that, you know, maybe uh, you, you see a little bit of that in him. So when he first started practicing with the team, I was thinking, oh man, he looks great. More athletic yeah. than I expected. He was defending the ball out on the perimeter better, moving laterally, and he was shooting well from three. Then we got a few yeah. weeks into practice and you know, it seemed like there was a little more frustration. It seemed like he was having some troubles picking up the, the defensive system, which really is very similar to what they did at Indiana, which is also a pack line yeah. defense under Archie Miller. So it's not entirely different what he's doing, so it shouldn't be too hard on him. Um, and then we got into last night's game and I thought, he kind of played the role that you want to see him play. I, he, he made a three in the first half. He rebounded the ball well. I thought he had some good moments on the perimeter defensively. Like you mentioned, there were a few shots he hoisted up there where if he's going to take five threes in a game, which he did last yeah. night, 
you can't be one for five if you're him. You know, that, what I mean? like, no, that was that's exactly my point. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yep. Yeah, he just has to be more efficient than that with the role they're asking him to play. It's not that you don't want him shooting because he's capable of it and he might be one of your better shooters even. But for your forward to take five threes, especially when, like, let's say when Zach Fremantle gets back, you know he'll hoist a couple up and maybe one or two that he probably shouldn't <laughs> take. Like, you can't all of a sudden have 10, 12, 13 three-pointers coming from that position, especially if they only make one each. So yeah. that would be what I'm a little concerned about for Jerome is he's got to rein that in a little bit. He also got all his and one mixtape tour stuff at one point and was like crossing <laughs> dudes over and balls yeah. bouncing off his knee a little bit. It's like, all right, reel it back in there, big fella. Yeah. But uh, if he stays within himself, plays solid defense and really rebounds the heck out of the ball, that's what this team needs out of him mostly. If he hits a few threes as well to go along with that, even better. And then, of course, he had the really impressive Duncan transition where he kind of climbed up on a guy's chest, it looked like, which that poor soul, uh, the big white doofus in there for Ferris State, like had <laughs> yes. no idea that they were even on defense. He was like looking around at his back turn, <laughs> spun around, and then Jerome Hunter's junk is over top of his head, teabagging him and dunking on him. Well, I mean, I, I tweeted it out at one point, but I, I thought all over the place. I mean, Xavier was really making an effort to get to the rim last night to dunk, you know, throwing alley-oops all over the place. And and I thought that that was a good sign of Xavier's aggressiveness. And you could see it right away. I mean, I, I thought that was one of the things that was most evident from last night, just as a team as a whole, not individual. I mean, it was pretty much everybody, Colby, Jerome, Dewan, even Paul getting up there and throwing it down. I mean, everybody, it seemed like, was really being aggressive and attacking and trying to finish, you know, with a dunk and not just laying it in. Well, and I, I wrote this in my recap from last night. A lot of that probably has to do with the fact that Fair State is smaller and less athletic. And so those opportunities presented themselves more often. But I also thought it was interesting to see how many alley-oops were thrown in this game, both off transition opportunities, but also like ball screen, pick and roll actions. They're lobbing it up a lot. There were a ton of oops. And I asked Dwan after the game, I was like, you know, is that a thing that just happened to present itself tonight? Or is this something you think you guys are going to do all season? And he's like, You'll, you can expect to see that all year. We want to push the pace. We want to get it out and go. And if we've got an opportunity to go make a play at the rim, we're going to throw it up there and go get it. So, you know, again, the coaches will have to ask him to rein it back a little more than they did last night. They got a little sloppy at times. Like they're new in track meet the way exhibitions do when you're up by 30 or 40 points. Yeah. But overall, I'm with you. I liked what I saw in the way that those guys are one looking to get to the rim and finish in that way. And two, that they're looking for each other to throw it up near the rim. I think oops, especially in today's game where everyone runs so much pick and roll stuff. I think oops are a opportunity that could be exploited a lot more in the college game. I think if you look at like a team like Kentucky has always done that really well. North Carolina does that. Well, they obviously have some five stars at the center position to go up and get the ball at times. So that helps, but this is a Xavier team that I think can do a little bit more of that. One more thing I want to touch on here before we move on uh, from the preseason notes and, and thoughts and the exhibition last night, Jack Nungy and Deontay miles. Jack Nungy really hasn't been going full blow yet. Even in practice, we've just seen him for like a week or so. Now we got our first live action out of him last night in the exhibition. And Deontay miles has really been the starter and the guy getting all the reps throughout the preseason at the five with Fremantle and Nungy both out of the mix. What's been your, your thoughts on those two big men that are going to play a lot of minutes here. I thought Deontay played pretty well last night. I mean, there was a couple of times where, you know, he had one, I think, at the rim where it was kind of point blank and he just 
forced it a little too hard over the other side of the rim. And I, I thought defensively he played you know, pretty well straight up. I, I didn't think either of them necessarily defensively were challenged a ton last night, but I thought that they responded when they had to rebound decently. And, and Jack is somebody as, you know, as we've talked about a lot that can step out and shoot too. He got to the line last night. He was aggressive, which I thought, and you know, I texted you during the game. I thought it was a little surprising to me how aggressive he was you know, trying to get in there and, and scrap it up in an exhibition game like that coming off an injury. And, you know, he didn't play a ton of minutes, but still he's somebody who is through his whole career has just been so riddled with injury. So it was good to see him, you know, put a lot of faith in that to be able to come back right away and do that in your first live action, you know, in a long time. And, and then for Deontay too, it's, it's kind of building that confidence, right. To finally be in there and in front of a Centa center crowd and, and to be able to do that last night, um, which I thought was a good thing. Now, you know, Deontay, I, I think it's still there's there's room to grow maybe in the system. But at the same time, you know, Deontay, I, I thought last night had some flashes where you could say, OK, we could see some extended minutes out of him watching them together. And Jack, again, has just gotten back into the mix. So he hasn't yeah. gotten into the flow yet. He you know, might not even. The one thing he has been able to do is run and condition and everything. So I think he's in pretty good shape, but there's still a little bit difference of getting back into games and, you know, running up and down the court on consecutive possessions that I think he'll have to get used to and it'll look a little more fluid as he goes. But I thought it clearly looked like he's the starter to me. Yeah. Deontay has shown some flashes throughout the preseason. Travis Steele and the coaching staff has really hyped him up. I don't know if I see the level of production that they seem to see at this point. I don't know that he quite looks that ready. That's not a knock on the kid. Like I, I like what Deontay has potential wise. And I think he's trying really hard. Like I I think he's doing everything he's being asked to do. I just don't know that he's quite there yet, especially from a physicality standpoint. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him go in against Ferris state and really dominate the class. And he had that tip to tip in for the first bucket of the game and I thought okay that's that's a good side you know like maybe 10 more of those and people will leave here feeling really good about Deontay and you know after that he kind of disappeared he ends up with just those two points he had four rebounds but you know for, for me if Deontay is going to get minutes because he's not great in the system and because he's not a dominant rebounder or super physical you need him to do some things special that he can only do like protect the rim so yep. you know again like it's if you're not great in the system, that's okay, but be super aggressive and go protect the rim and block some shots and make them think twice. And uh, I'll be interested to see what that looks like, not just in some buy games, but some of those bigger non-conference games while Fremantle is still out and Nunji is getting back into the flow of things. How much does Deontay progress and does he settle in at some point and kind of find his role and what this team needs out of him? I still have my questions about that at this point. And if you listen to the staff talk, they don't seem to have any concerns about it. I, I have a little bit more concerns after watching those two big men. I did, you know, you mentioned Nunji getting in and mixing it up. I did note that he fell hard twice. Yeah. He like kind of face planted and, you know, banging his legs on the ground. I know the second one, I was sitting with Adam Baum and he know, he told me like, you know, Steele just had a visceral reaction to that last one by <laughs> Nunji, like clearly made him a little uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah, I think that was, you know, pretty much what I had from the ex, mostly the exhibition and then the scrimmage and, and some preseason practices. Uh, but, you know, overall, I think this team is looking about how you would expect. You got some injury concerns with Fremantle, obviously, but for right now, I thought that the exhibition looked good. I think the secret scrimmage, to put a little more context on that, because we didn't have a lot of information 
after it came out. The box score never leaked. They did a good job keeping that box score under wraps. We tried. It's the first time I've not been able to get one. It's the, we tried. Pro- we tried real something hard about how they played and, and what the score yeah. was. But we were going through uh, Vanderbilt contacts and everything and uh, still weren't able to pull it off. So kudos to both sides. I'm surprised Jerry Stackhouse didn't want that out there. Uh, <laughs> but the point I was going to make about that was here the score. And it's like, oh, Xavier lost to Vanderbilt. That's terrible. Vanderbilt's going to stink, which is all true. Like you don't want that to happen if it's a real game. And then everyone's going to point to, oh, it's an exhibition. No one cares. They're not trying to win, which, okay, that's right. But there's also a reason they don't want to send the box score out after they lose to a team like Vanderbilt, right? Like they do want to win. Yeah. They, they can say that yeah, yeah. we were subbing and things, but both teams were still trying. The thing that stood out to me when I finally got a little more information is, Jack Nungy didn't play, which we already knew. So your two big men were going to be Deontay Miles, Cesar Edwards. And the second play, I guess, from what I understand, Deontay Miles banged his knee, went out of the game and didn't play again. So basically you had a freshman Cesar Edwards and Steele mentioned this multiple times that they were playing a smaller lineup in the second half with all guards. That's why they were doing it. They didn't have any big men to go with. They didn't have anybody else. Cesar who's not ready. So you start hearing that and you think, okay, you're playing an SEC opponent. I don't care how bad they are. You play an SEC opponent with no centers and some young guys that are inexperienced kind of makes a little more sense of how it ended up. I also believe Paul Scruggs was dealing with some type of stomach bug in that game. So he like wasn't playing a lot in the second half. So it was a little bit of a shit show, literally and figuratively there for the Musketeers in that <laughs> one. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just wanted to add a little more context to the Vanderbilt scrimmage from what we heard. I'm not trying to say make a bunch of excuses and say, you know, exhibitions don't matter or scrimmages don't matter and they weren't trying or anything like yeah. that. But I do think there are no, some but it's realities. Good to know. Yeah, I think there are some realities there that that makes it make a little yeah. more sense. All right. So let's get into our schedule preview here. Uh, do we want to just go ahead and mark down all the buy games as wins? And do you have any buy game that gives you any kind of uh, a hint of doubt? Uh, no, I've got I've got all the buy games as wins and looking through it. I don't even really see one that you'd be too concerned about going into this. Neither do I. Yeah. I mean, okay. Kent state ball state are, you know, both middling Mac teams. I don't, I don't have many concerns there. And then the other teams we're talking about are, are really low level teams. Morehead state might be a little bit more interesting, but yeah, all wins from the buy perspective. Okay. So we go first into the big first big test of the season, November 18th at home, Ohio state. Give it to me. What do you got here, Rick? I've got a loss here. I think this Ohio State team is pretty good. They also have a talented front court, obviously, and that's where Xavier is going to be lacking early on in the season without Zach Fremantle. I just don't know that this team is is, uh, going to be able to pull that one off. So I've got that as a a loss, even though it's at the Centaur Center. I had it as a win just because it was at home. One thing I should say about this schedule, and you and I were talking about this before we went on the air, I think my my final record of this schedule is a little higher on this team than I think I am on this team. I, I think I was kind of struggling to find some of those Big East losses, but as far as Ohio State goes with being at home, yeah, to your point, you know, with Fremantle being out and some of those front court, you know, front court issues that, that uh, Ohio State could provide EJ Liddell, you know, Kyle Young, Justice Ewing, those guys well, down there. I believe Kyle Young is probably going to be out for this game. So that does help Xavier a little bit there. Okay. I didn't know that. So that's, that's good to, that's good to know. Um, but I mean, still, you look around the rest of that roster. I mean, that's, that's a really good Ohio State team that the benefit to Xavier in that game is that they get it at home. Um, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna give Xavier the edge just being at the Centos Center. I think it'll be a pretty evenly played game. I think if Fremantle was playing, I think I don't want to say it would be a significant edge to Xavier, but I certainly would say that that would be an easier pick for a win. But we'll go from there from Ohio State, and then they'll go right well after the bye game with Norfolk State. They'll go to New York for the NIT tip off. All Iowa State in the first game. What do you got against Iowa State? I have them going one and one in this event. My guess is they yeah. beat Iowa State and lose to Memphis, but we've seen how these neutral Thanksgiving type tournaments go. These have been a struggle for Xavier in the past. So you never get too confident regardless of the, the matchup in the first round. Uh, so I could see them losing to Iowa State and then winning the second game too. But my guess is a one and one trip here with an Iowa State win and a Memphis loss. That's exactly what I had. Uh, Memphis plays Virginia Tech in that first one. I think Memphis gets that done. Memphis should get that done uh, to play in that second game and play Xavier, assuming Xavier can beat Iowa State. Uh, so one and one there. That's exactly what I had. Uh, and you come back. You have Central Michigan at home before you go on the road against Oklahoma State, where you're going to have to watch Oklahoma State with that terrible camera angle where you're like, you feel like you're on cloud nine up there in the, in, in space. Uh, no Cade Cunningham again this year, he's gone. Uh, I really liked Isaac likely. I watched a lot of Oklahoma state last year. I really liked him. Um, but then you have uh, Caleb Boone down low in the post and the Memphis transfer. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Musa, Musa Cisse. Yep. I don't, I don't it's close yeah, enough. Uh, close enough. Um, but uh, you know, this is a game um, I went down and did the schedule and then I kind of back checked it against Ken Palm and went back and was reading some previews from other places. And Ken Palm has this as a loss. I think this is a game that Oklahoma State should win. They should win at home, especially if Fremantle's not back by this point. He might be, he might not be. Um, I would lean that he's probably not back by this point, but who knows? And, um, you know, on December 5th. But Oklahoma State, as we all just found out this past week, is not playing for anything in the postseason. So I don't know if that factors into anything, their motivation, you know, how they execute in a game like this at home in a non-conference game. But without anything really to play for in a season, that's kind of something to monitor, you know, as this game goes along. That's a good point. And I have this as a loss for Xavier, but that point you bring up is a big one that Oklahoma State no longer has a postseason to play for. And this is still really early in the year. So I don't know that you get into thinking that type of thing too much but you never know what that might do to a locker room or if guys will decide they they want to sit out or something like that and change their mind about the season so there's a whole lot of thinking going on uh with those oklahoma state players right now who knows what that will turn into my guess is they'll be fine at this point still and xavier will either not have Fremantle back yet or he'll just be working his way back into the mix which yeah. in some ways might be worse so I'm going to guess that throws Xavier off enough here. They lose that one on the road in tough environment. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking Fremantle is probably coming back somewhere around that central Michigan, Oklahoma state ball state trio. Um, and I'm thinking they might want to work him in a little easier against like ball state. So that's my thought. Right yeah. Now. I also have that as a loss, but again, that's, that's one I could easily see flip to a win. If Oklahoma state's a little apathetic in the game, but I did mark it as a loss. Uh, so then you have Ball State in the midweek game before the Saturday at home, 8.30. Cintas is going to burn to the ground. Cincinnati in the shootout. Any, what, what do you got here? This is a game in my mind that Xavier should 
I mean, there's no question Xavier should win this game at home. There's really no excuse for Xavier to lose this game. What do you have here? Xavier hasn't lost to Cincinnati inside the Centos Center in 20 years. I don't think that's going to happen here. I think this UC team is going to struggle to score at all. And uh, with it being at the Centos Center, I think that's a, a win for Xavier. Yeah, I, I think even even if for whatever reason Zach is not back by this point, I, I still think you know maybe if this was at UC, maybe it's a little closer. But really, I, I don't think there's any excuse to lose this game. The one thing I will say about this game: this is the 10th anniversary of the brawl uh, this year. Nice. Um, and I was sitting with uh, John Fanta last night at the exhibition, and we were talking about a, a lot of different stuff. Xavier, the Big East, and and he was talking about the shootout and he put together well the big east put together and he did a bunch of interviews for a 10th anniversary uh kind of video i don't know if it's documentary mini doc uh, about the brawl it did a lot of really good interviews he got uh did he talk to you about that yeah i didn't know if that was a uh, was public knowledge if we were allowed to talk about it yet but yeah they had uh asked me to, to do an interview for that i believe it's actually fox sports that's putting that together like i think didn't they do like the malice at the palace one with the pistols. Yeah. And, so well, I think it's the I would, same deal. I was going to keep it under wraps, but Mo had John on his show last night, right before the exhibition game. And they spent their whole college basketball segment talking about it. So I figured oh, it was gotcha. kind of yeah, free okay. reign. Good so, deal. so yeah, so, um, I believe it's that same type of documentary style, you know, one-off yeah. thing. That, that was, that was the impression I got. So he talked to you, he talked to Mo. I think he talked to Dan Horde. He talked to Chris Mack. Um, he, he, he went through the list. And, uh, so that's something for Xavier and UC fans, uh, to, to keep an eye out on. That should be a really well done, uh, produced, well-produced, uh, segment. I did not actually get to do the interview, unfortunately, because after I confirmed it with them, a day or two later, I ended up testing positive for COVID. So, oh. uh, was, so they came in town and I actually was not able to go cause I was in quarantine at the time. Oh. So. Yeah, you will well, not see me in that documentary unless they continue filming here. Later <laughs> on. All right. So Cincinnati's a win. Moorhead State's a win. And then you get into Big East play. Marquette at home to open things up. Shaka Smart's first year. You have a ton of transfers and you lose you know, Dawson Garcia, Theo John, DJ Carton, Jamal Kane, Kobe McEwen. They're all gone. You do get Justin Lewis back. You get Daryl Morcell, who was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. So uh, Marquette, there's going to be a lot of instability, a, a lot of turnover. We don't really know what Shock is going to have on his hands with a lot of new guys this year. Some familiar faces, but I, again, I think this is a game at home that uh, with the way Marquette's kind of shaping up that I think Xavier should get done at home. I think Marquette is going to struggle this year. I don't think they're very good, but I also look at the bottom half of the big East or the last, at least like four or five teams. And I yeah. think they're probably the one with the best chance to surprise us all. Like they're, they're probably in the best position to not be as bad as we think. Some of the other teams I think are going to be really bad this year. So um, I think Xavier will win this. I think they'll beat Marquette twice this year. I don't think they're going to be very good, but they are one of the teams that if there's going to be a surprise out of the bottom of the conference, I think it's possible that Shaka playing a completely different style with um, a kind of different group, a, a few leftovers. Uh, they may have something there at some point. So then you go from there to Villanova. You know, 
Travis has been real close in Philadelphia. If the team is fully healthy, there's no reason that Villanova should lose this game at home. I don't know. Can, can Xavier challenge him on the road? What, what do you mean you don't know? This is an automatic loss every year for Xavier. Like, oh, man. At some point, they got to do it, though, Rick, right? At some point, maybe. But until then, I'm not predicting oh. it. This is a prediction. Like, we're come on. This is the easiest game on the schedule to pick. No, we should not have any deliberation about this. You see Villanova away, and you mark loss for Xavier. That's yeah. just the rules at this point. Until it changes, I'm not changing how I handle that. So I've got a loss here. I, I really, I really tried to, I'd really tried to give a win here, but I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, a loss at Villanova. And then you come back home and play Connecticut. Uh, no James book night, but um, pretty much you get your whole team back from, you know, a group that last year really struggled down the stretch Creighton in the big East tournament. And then it was Maryland, I think in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And they flamed out I mean, plain and simply Connecticut flamed out. And, uh, you know, now they're going to have to come back. They're going to be a really, really, really good uh, defensive team this year. So can Xavier kind of outscore Connecticut, I think is the question. Um, I have this as a loss. I think Connecticut's going to be really, I'm high on Connecticut this year. I think they're going to be really good. I know it's at home. I know you're coming off Villanova. I have this as a loss at home. What do you have? I have this as a loss as well. The thing that would really concern me about UConn for Xavier specifically, like I could see Xavier having a better year than UConn. I don't think they're heads and shoulders above the rest of the conference and up there with Villanova in their own tier at the top of the league, like some other people seem to think. I think UConn is going to have issues scoring consistently. Yes. But they have tremendous size and they're going to be really good defensively. I think their front court play and all their size is going to be problematic for Xavier. So matchup specifically here, I think this is a tough matchup for Xavier. I do too. I, I do too. When I was going through everything last night, writing all this out, I, I just, I think down in the front court, I, I think it's just, it's going to be a tough one, you know, for Xavier to handle. But then you go on the road, try to get a rebound game. If you are coming off those two losses uh, against Georgetown on the road in DC, Georgetown was expecting Trey King uh, to be a big part of their roster. If you remember Trey King from last year, he was the, uh, leading scorer in that Eastern Kentucky, what almost was a debacle, kind of was really an overtime win for Xavier at Cintas that Xavier squeaked through. Trey King was the uh, leading scorer in that game, had 25 points, led all scores, but he will not be on the Georgetown roster this year. And, you know, again, it's kind of a Georgetown team that has, has struggled to keep some guys, some big time guys that they've needed. They got hot at the end of last season, won the Big East tournament. I have this as a win. I was not high on Georgetown last year. They got hot. I picked them to get blown out by Colorado in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's exactly what happened. I'm out on Georgetown. I don't know if anybody's in on Georgetown, but I'm out on Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, they've got Dante Harris back. He looked good last year as a youngster. But aside from that, this is just a bad team, if we're being honest. Yeah. I, I don't expect much out of this Georgetown team at all. And I don't have a lot of faith in Patrick Ewing to have some like plucky, scrappy group that somehow finds a way either. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on Georgetown. This is two wins for Xavier, in my opinion, this year. Yep. And then Butler on the road. Now Fanta was telling me he thinks Butler is his big East dark horse. You know, they do return a lot. You got NZ Thompson, golden, you know, a lot of team. names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally everybody's back. Uh, a lot of names. Everybody's familiar with 
This is a Friday night at Hinkle. This is a game that I marked as a win because it's Paul Scruggs' last game in Indianapolis. Ooh, I like that and, angle. And I had it originally. At, this, this is everything, all the ingredients for a loss, you know, at Hinkle on a Friday night, you know, Xavier coming off what could be a blowout win over Georgetown. You know, there's there's a lot of things that set this up for a loss. But with Paul going to Indianapolis for the last time, I did flip it as a win. Man, I really like the Paul Scruggs and Indy angle for the last time here. You almost have me wanting to flip this because of that reason. I'm also going to have four losses in short succession here because Villanova, I have them losing Villanova the next game at home as well. So yeah. kind of make me want to flip this pick, but I'm going to stick with it. I think Xavier loses at Butler Friday night at Hinkle, like you alluded to. I think that's going to be a, a crazy atmosphere. This has turned into basically a rivalry game and Butler. I don't think they're very good. I worry about their overall talent level because they just weren't all that talented last year with the same group of guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Chuck yeah. Harris is a, is a really good player. He'll be, he'll take a step forward as a sophomore here, but they do have enough size, enough experience, enough toughness in front. They should be a cohesive enough unit that they can make life difficult, especially when they're when they're in their own gym. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a, a loss for Xavier on the road. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not necessarily sold on this being a win, but I, I think this is something where, you know, and it's also in the midpoint of the season with, you know, depending on how well Butler's playing at this point, all of that. But with Villanova coming up, um, sandwiched kind of in that schedule, like you were saying, I, I think this is a game Xavier could get done. Xavier comes home against Villanova. I, you and I both have that as a loss. Uh, and then you play Creighton for the first time. That is at home. Uh, Creighton loses pretty much everybody. So I was reading the three-man weave, who if anybody listening doesn't read them, they do a fantastic job. They made a note that out of 155 possible starts over the 31 games that they played last year, Creighton, they're only returning two starts from last year. And that was when Sharif Mitchell started when Marcus Zagorowski was hurt. So this is an entirely new depth of team for Creighton. McDermott, we, you know, we know what he does offensively. I have this as a win. I'm also kind of out on Creighton, but McDermott's a good coach. So Maybe, you know, with a lot of freshmen, a lot of newcomers, they gel in the system. They start scoring a lot like Creighton usually does. You know, that could give Xavier a handful. But I think at home, Xavier should win this game. Yeah, they have Alex O'Connell and Ryan Kalkbrenner, I think, are kind of going to be the go-to guys for this team, I think. Yeah. Based on what we know coming into the season, those are two guys that have struggled to uh, – Kalkbrenner right away found a role and found some footing. I don't know that he's like a go-to player, especially on the offensive end. and then. With O'Connell, it's he hasn't really found that starring role or even really been like a, a full-time guy yet. So I just I don't see this Creighton team being able to pull it together. I don't like their roster at all. I think this is a win for Xavier. Yeah, I agree. So you go from Creighton. Now this is a stretch, this is a stretch where I have a lot of wins in a row. DePaul, the only thing I wrote down. <laughs> The only thing I wrote down next to DePaul is new coach, Tony Stubblefield. <laughs> I got nothing else. That is a fact. That is definitely a fact. About them <laughs> that you have a new coach and it is Tony Stubblefield. Uh, Javon Freeman is back. Javon Freeman Liberty. He had a, a show he could yep. score last year. He came from Valparaiso. Um, and then after that, like 
I don't know. Are we talking about Nick on Jenda? <laughs> like a big I, man? I don't know. I don't. There's no. not a lot here on this roster. They got a no. ton of new pieces. I have no idea how this DePaul team is, is going to come together. You know, they, they do have some interesting pieces, though, transfer in, like Ty and Grant Foster from Kansas and these other transfer guys like Brandon Johnson from Minnesota. Jalen Terry from Oregon will probably start at point guard. Like, it's going to be a completely different team. So it's hard to judge exactly who DePaul will be, except for the yep. fact that we still know they'll be DePaul and they'll probably be last in the conference. So, yeah, I have Xavier beating them twice. Yep. So then from there, you you stay on the road at Marquette. I have that as a win. Yep, I do too. Yep. So then back home against Providence, um, this is the first time they played Providence. So you, you kind of look at the back half of this schedule and Providence, you know, St. John, it seems like they're always playing St. John's, you know, late in the season. Providence and uh, St. John, Seton Hall, a couple of teams that you don't play until later on in the in the back half of that schedule. Uh, but Providence does bring back Nate Watson, A.J. Reeves, Jared Bynum, Noah Horkler. Uh, you lose David Duke, um, but they get the Indiana transfer, Al Durham. He was a double-digit scorer in the Big Ten at Indiana. I have this as a win at home, but... That you know, I think this, especially by this point in the season, could be a team that is playing pretty well. Well, I think this is good for Xavier, though, that they face Providence and Nate Watson later in the year, where you feel pretty confident that your front court will be ready to go. You know, Jack Nunji will yeah. be more than in the flow, have nearly a, a, over a half a season under his belt again. Zach Fremantle should be back and and in the mix and, and feeling good. So I think that helps Xavier in this game. I'm going to go with a win, even though I do think Nate Watson will obviously be a tough matchup for them again. So then you go back on the road at Creighton. I have that as a win. I have that as a win as well. I, yeah. And then Butler and DePaul at home. I think, again, I, I think Xavier should take care of Butler at home. And then DePaul is, I, that's just marked as a win. Anything there? Yeah, I've, I've got the same thing. DePaul, an obvious win at home. Butler, a payback game from the lo- close loss at Butler. I think this could be like a blowout at home, assuming Xavier does actually lose at Butler. I think they'll pay them back here. So that's seven straight wins here all of a sudden yes. that you have piled up. Yeah, that 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 is the one thing. That's that's a nice little stretch there in that get kind right. of middle chunk of the Big East season to get right if anything goes wrong after that. You know, Nova, Connecticut, kind of Butler run there in the in the first half of the schedule. And then you go on the road and play Seton Hall for the first time. Mamu's gone. Shavar Reynolds is gone. Um, but Kadari Richmond's in from Syracuse. And the one thing about this Seton Hall team is that they are massive. They are a really, really big team, which I think, you know, maybe could pose a problem for Xavier, depending on how they want to attack it, how they want to play it. Uh, I have this as a loss on the road. I think Kevin Willard, you know, I, I've always been pretty high on, on Kevin Willard and Seton Hall. Um, I have this as a loss on the road coming off all those wins. What do you have here? I have this as a loss. You know, you mentioned some of the guys they have coming back. Kadari Richmond, the point guard transfer from Syracuse, is a difference maker, I think. If you talk He's to great. Syracuse people, they were really upset about losing. I mean, he, he hadn't quite flourished yet. But a lot of people thought that was more to do a lack of opportunity and thought he should have played more. He just wasn't, you know, perfect within that zone system. He's a little more of a a go get steals and jump passing lanes type of guy. He's going to be really interesting in that Willard matchup zone where they value deflections and you can jump passing lanes a little bit more. He's going from a, a more traditional 
two, three at Syracuse to this Willard matchup thing that they do, where it's a more of a hybrid defense. I think he's going to fit really well and give them a nice playmaker with size at the point guard position. And then the other guy to really watch out for that, you know, they have three strong returners in their starting rotation. I think both Kadari Richmond and then Alexis Yetna, a transfer from USF. We've already heard Kevin Willard compare him to Angel Delgado. Angel yeah. Delgado is, was a pretty special player at Seton Hall. So my assumption is Kevin Willard has a lot of confidence in Alexis Yetna if he's going to compare him to one of the best players he's coached at this point. I, coaches can get a little out of pocket there with some of their praise in the preseason, but this is a guy I've got my eye on because if he really gives them, he doesn't need to be Angel Delgado, but if he gives them like an Angel Delgado light, meaning a big man who can really pass, that you can play through a little bit, a guy who can step out and shoot, but also controls the glass and defends well, all of a sudden the Seton Hall team is maybe as talented as as any not named Villanova in the Big East, and I think they could they could really challenge in the within the conference. So I've got this as a loss, and I also am pretty high on this Seton Hall team, assuming both of those transfers really settle in nicely in that starting rotation. Yeah, I like Yetna too. I watched a little bit of him last year at South Florida. I, I think you know he could be a guy, like you said, that that could potentially make a difference uh, for them. And your, your big ESPN you come... three guy, huh? Watching the American Conference on stream. Okay, all right, all right. I don't know. I, I, I may lose some credibility here. I love ESPN three. I, do I think too. it's a fantastic. I think it's a fantastic investment. It's the best seven dollars I spend every month. I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback for that. I love ESPN three. I do too. I'm a Horizon League guy. So, I mean, come yeah. on. I watched the entire conference all year long, and I think it is a great deal too. I like that it exists, uh, but it is still funny. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> you're exactly right. South Florida, I I put it this way I wouldn't want to be UC and in the American and only on a streaming service. I do get where the yeah. fans get upset about that, but I'm with yeah. you. I like it from a, like a Horizon League perspective. Yeah, you flip on a random game at like two o'clock in the afternoon and like, you know, some random league somewhere. Perfect. I like watch be able, being able to watch Detroit and IUPUI from a barn in Indianapolis at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. That is nice. That is exactly Drake. Last yeah. year, Drake's played at these random times. They're winning all these games. Yeah. Like I take my money. How they get their everyone's going to hate this part of the podcast, but whatever they can deal with it. Uh, IUPUI, <laughs> how they get like their biggest fan attendance game of the year is every year they'll play like a random weekday game during the school day and they'll invite a bunch of students with free tickets and that's their the biggest field trip day yeah it's their biggest crowd of the year every yeah day. oh yeah it's oh a- yeah you love it the high high pure shrills oh there's nothing like it there's nothing like broadcasting a field trip day too because you can't even hear yourself think yeah all right so we yeah. both got a loss at seton hall right yep and, and then, then and then john's at home and this is the first time playing st john's you're gonna play st john's twice in five games I think you beat St. John's at home, but this could be a dangerous spot because you get St. John's getting five transfers. Uh, Posh Alexander, Julian Champagne are coming back. You know, they could be meshing by this point in the schedule. I think Xavier gets it done at home, uh, but St. John's is always pesky. Xavier always has trouble with St. John's, their style of play. Does Xavier get this done at home against Mike Anderson's squad, Rick? I'm going to give them the win at home. I think this is going to be a situation where they split with St. John's this year, but this, but this is definitely another place I could see Xavier slipping up and losing one at home. St. John's gave them trouble last year in terms of matchups. And the two main guys that you worry about Posh Alexander and Julian Champagne, which in my opinion is the best duo in the conference. They're back. They're They're going to be as good as ever. So those two would certainly concern me if I was any team in this conference. And then you look at what they added 
Granted, they're going to have to mesh a bunch of new players because after those two, they've got basically no real talent left, but they've got legitimate high major transfers coming in. Montez Mathis from Rutgers is a guy that I think should be pretty good for them. Aaron Wheeler's coming in from Purdue. I think he'll play a big role. Um, Joel Soriano from Fordham, not a high major, but I think he's got a good chance to start in the front court for them. So they could put together five, six guys in a rotation that I think are pretty darn good. The bigger question is how did they gel and mesh together? And that seems to be a little bit of a problem all the time at St. John's because there's so much roster turnover. So we'll see how it all comes together. But by this point in the year, they could be very dangerous. And then from St. John's, you have, in my mind, what is the second hardest stretch of this schedule? You play three out of four on the road against Connecticut, Providence, and the Seton Hall at home and St. John's. I have Connecticut as a loss on the road. What do you have here? I've got a loss here, too. I, okay. I think that's going to be a tough while. Like I mentioned, UConn, just a tough matchup and playing at their gym. And then Providence on the road. Now, I have this as a win, but the part of the schedule where we're at, where it's Connecticut on the road, Providence on the road, you know, Providence with a lot of those guys back, you know, Nate Watson and the rest. Um, I could I have this as a win but I could very easily be talked into this as a loss. Yeah. And this has been a spot where Xavier has really struggled traditionally, especially the last what I think they won there in 2019. They lost at home, but then beat them on the road in 2019, Travis's second year. Uh, and then I think you got to go back to like 2016 before that. So they've lost most of the time at Providence over the last five or six years. Uh, I'm going to say they win this one, but I'm with you. It could go either way. Yeah, and then you come home against Seton Hall. I have that as a win. I have that as a win as well. Okay, and then is our schedule the same? St. John's loss on the road? St. John's loss and Georgetown win. Yep, so that puts me at 23 and 8 and 14 and 6. I've got them at 21 and 10 overall, 13 and 7 in Big East play. Oh, okay. okay. Losses at Nova, at Butler, home against UConn, home against Nova at Seton Hall, at UConn, and at St. John's. Seven losses. Yeah. I think the Big East schedule, this is one of the more favorable, in my mind, Big East schedules that Xavier's had in the last few years, especially in that middle chunk where we picked those seven straight wins from the Creighton game at home to the DePaul game at home. The the thing about Xavier's schedule, and I have them at 14 and 6 in conference, this is a Big East this year where I could easily be talked into Xavier beating and sweeping most of these teams besides Connecticut, you know, Villanova, Connecticut and Villanova. I, I could easily be talked into Xavier sweeping anybody else besides Xavier or besides Villanova and Connecticut. I don't think they will. I don't think they'll sweep everybody else, but it's a situation where there's enough parity in the league that with Paul Scruggs and, and the talent of everybody coming back, I think there, there is an opportunity there to kind of stack some wins. You know, Villanova, too, I, I kind of glossed over them because I was giving you grief about saying they Xavier could possibly win at Villanova. But when you look at Villanova's personnel this year and Xavier's personnel, Villanova has no big man. I mean, they've got one center who probably shouldn't be a starter, if we're being honest, at Villanova. And after that, they're probably going to play a small lineup a lot. So matchup wise, this could be a team that works for Xavier in terms of matchups. But are you talking me into sticking with my gut and picking that as a win? Because I, I will. Go ahead. I don't care what you do. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm being logical. Oh, but I think I UConn is the worst matchup <laughs> for Xavier with all their size. Yes. And then after that, I think St. John's is going to be like, we have no idea what exactly that team will look like. But if you just say Julian Champagny to me 
or to Travis Steele, more likely, I would imagine you get a little like some shivers up his back because I yeah. I don't know. Zach Fremantle can't guard Julian Champagny. And I don't know who you necessarily yeah. put on him that can. That's going to be a nightmare matchup for Xavier. So I think UConn and St. John's are the two matchups I'd be most concerned about if I were X. Agreed. Agreed. So we've done the schedule and now we can kind of move into some questions from the message board. Rick, anything else about the schedule or anything before we get into some of these questions? No, the only thing in terms of questions, I know a lot of people have had injury questions throughout the preseason. Where does everybody stand? I can do a quick rundown on that. Sure. Fremantle obviously had the stress fracture surgery around media day. Six weeks was the timeline after that. So that would put him again, somewhere in that early December uh, timeline around Central Michigan, Oklahoma State, Ball State, UC, somewhere around there. But it's tricky, as they've mentioned multiple times, to, to know exactly when he'll be back because feet can be tough with, with a big man. Uh, Kiki Tandy missed most of the summer due to stress fracture surgery on his foot, which he suffered during last season. And then now he is apparently dealing with a bad case of bronchitis because he missed the secret scrimmage at Vanderbilt. He didn't go to it, and he did not dress in last night's exhibition at the Centos Center. But as far as we know, he will be back and ready to go sooner than later. Elijah Tucker planning on redshirting this year, so we will not likely see him unless something goes really south for this team in the front court. But he had some illness that we still haven't got clear details on during the offseason. He went back home to Georgia. He was in the hospital for a while. He returned, but he needs to put on a lot of weight and just get used to playing basketball again. So he's way behind the eight ball. And again, he's going to redshirt. Jack Nungy coming off meniscus surgery, which he had last year in February. He suffered while playing for Iowa. He has not gone full five-on-five contact until the last week and a half or so, but he is 100% at this point uh, from everything we know. Ben Stanley, Travis Steele, put him at about 92% uh, coming back from his ACL surgery from last season, which he had, I think. In How do you get seven- to 92%? I loved that. Like Travis, when I, I do too, I do too, but 92 to 94% is where he's at now. Not 90, Yeah. not 80. 92 to 94. So uh, from everything I can see, Ben Stanley looks to be healthy. He's not even wearing a brace out there. And then finally you got Nate Johnson, who is completely healthy. In fact, he's the healthiest he's ever been, but he did have off surgery as well. So uh, that's kind of the update on where everyone's at. Again, Fremantle is really the only big concern at this point. Sure. All right. So let's get into some questions from the message board. First up, uh, what is the ceiling for this team? And then, If things go south, what's the floor? My ceiling for this team, I would say, is probably the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Um, I think if you you know you get a good break and a little pod there in the in the beginning, you know, if if you finish the regular season at twenty three and eight and with some good wins in there, especially if you beat Ohio State, uh, maybe maybe if you can sneak a a Connecticut win in there to somewhere that you could uh, you could be looking at wearing a a white jersey in the first round of the NCAA tournament. you know, I think this team with Paul Scruggs definitely has the potential to do that. And of course, we get in the second weekend, who knows, you know, upsets, whatever you go from there. But I, I think the way it plays out, it could be a, a, a second weekend team potentially. What do you think is a bigger win for Xavier, Ohio State or Oklahoma State? Ohio State, I think, because I just because I, Oklahoma State's going to be on the road, though. That's the only thing getting that, getting a yeah. two, getting a quad one win on the road. I'm wondering if you're almost better off. Like, I'm not saying those are that those games have any connection to each other. They don't. They're played weeks apart. Yeah, but I can see them stealing a win at Oklahoma State almost more than I can see them winning at home against Ohio State. And I think that might actually look better for the resume. I, I, 
I think everybody is really high on Oklahoma State. I just and, and you know the one thing I should do is go back and look at how teams have played that have been. I, I there hasn't been a ton, but that have not been able to play in the postseason. I, I just you know I mean this this is a really good Oklahoma State team, a really really good Oklahoma State team, really talented, a lot of good players. I I just. I'm a little out. I mean, I, I just don't know how they'll respond to all this. And they could go out and go undefeated this. You know, who knows? I, I really, I, I don't know. I just, I kind of tend more to thinking that Ohio State might end up being the better win. But on the road, you make a good point. You know, if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma, I'll put it this way. If Oklahoma State plays the way they should with the talent that they have on the roster and they play up to everybody's expectations, then it'll it'll be Oklahoma State on the road if they can get that win. But I I just don't know. I don't know if I'm sold on it. Yeah. Well, anyway, to go back to the the original question, which was the uh, upside and ceiling for this team, I think you can definitely split Ohio State, Oklahoma State. I, I had those as both losses. You could definitely split that. So that gets you to nine and two in your non-conference. I don't know that I can expect them to go much better than nine and two. Maybe yeah. somehow you go 10 and one, but nine and two is pretty reasonable for, for a non-conference slate, especially one with multiple big games in there. And then in terms of the big East, how much better could they do than the 13 and seven? I had them. I could see maybe 15 and five if, if yeah. everything goes right. Um, so yeah, at that point you're looking at what three less losses. It puts you at 24 and seven. That sounds like a top five seed to me, probably. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm thinking maybe like a five seed for the team could be up could be their their upside or their their ceiling. Um, the good thing for this team is if everything goes south, answer the second part of that question. I think their floor is really high. I, I do not think this is a team that ever faces disaster. I don't think they're a team that's going to like be 500 or anything like that. Like there's too yeah. much back. There's too many solid players. There's too much backcourt depth. I think that this is a pretty high floor team. I'm going to say maybe 19 and 12 as their floor, 18 and 13 as the absolute worst. You know, the the only thing that what I wrote down as a floor is you think, you know, maybe Fremantle comes back and he's never fully healthy. And then you have that kind of tough stretch in the beginning of the season. And then you go into that last stretch of the season where, you know, you're on the road, three of the last five games, Connecticut, Providence and St. John's in there. And it the I, I think what would be dangerous would be going into that final stretch there potentially maybe having to kind of do a little bubble watching and oh. then things get dicey you dude, you're dead on if they're in the same spot as they've been the last two years where they've got to play their way in and you see at providence home against seton hall at st john's as three of your four final games like yeah, yeah you feel good home against georgetown but if those are the three last four games you need that's not going to be easy at all for the Xavier team. So I'm with you. That could get dicey there at the end. You do not want to be in that situation where you are relying on winning out to close the deal. Yeah, that that's what I wrote down because that that's too hard of a schedule there at the very end to really set yourself up. You you want to set yourself up in the beginning with that middle stretch with those seven wins that you can get in a row. I, I think that that's where you really want to set your, your season up. Um, Let's go on from here. Who's the player that if he exceeds expectations can raise the ceiling the most? Do you have a good answer for this one? I mean, from everything we've talked about, I, I would say Colby probably is somebody that if he exceeds as much hype as we have given him in the in the preseason, I think that's an easy answer to find somebody who could be an all big East first team player. 
you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be the biggest player of the year, but, you know, he could easily be a first team player if, if he plays the way that, you know, a lot of us think he's going to play looking around the rest of the roster, maybe a Nunji type, if he can step out and hit some shots, but you know, you know, I I don't know. I think everybody's just this year playing their role the way they need to play it. it it's kind of tough to answer this one. I think those are the two guys I would have said Colby Jones for the obvious reasons of if he does become the best player on this team consistently and becomes like an NBA draft prospect here this year, then yeah, like all bets are off. This could really take this team to another level. So he's probably the best answer in terms of he makes their ceiling the highest. But if we're being yep. a little more realistic and we think, okay, Colby has the year we're kind of expecting out of him where he's clearly going to be one of their top three guys. He doesn't explode into becoming like a first round draft pick after this year or anything like that. He's just really solid. One of the best three players. Then I think I would probably go Jack Nungy because if you have a guy like, what if he becomes the player that Iowa thought they had last year? And, you know, he just wasn't yep. getting his, his opportunities because of Luca Garza. A lot of Iowa fans felt like if he was the starter, he would have been very good too. And he would have played a lot of minutes and, and done well. So if Jack Nungy all of a sudden becomes this like legit starting center and raises Xavier's level of defense and rebounding, and he can score and, and, and shoot threes and all that, that gives them a big boost. So I, I would, I would say Jack Nungy is my number two choice there too. So what do you think? And this kind of goes off to another question asked here. So what do you think talking about these players and the ceilings and the floor and everything? What do you think each of those scenarios means for Travis Steele? Well, if it's the former and all of a sudden we're talking about they're in a situation of a five seed in the tournament or a six seed in the tournament and they had a really good year, then I think everyone feels great about the Travis Steele era and where it's headed because the recruiting has been good. They've got a couple more really talented guys coming in for next year everything's rolling at that point, right? Like you got it to where you wanted it and people are really happy. If they are missing the tournament, then we've talked about that a lot. Like I think, I think Travis is in trouble to a certain extent. I don't think he gets fired because of it, but I think it's going to be really hard to convince people going forward that he's the right guy. And for the most part, we're talking about fans here, but the problem is when he gets to that point, like we're talking about four years of missing the tournament, your biggest donors and the people that control his salary are fans. They, yeah. they have a little more insight. They might be a little more reasonable and rational and they might like Travis, but at a certain point that goodwill goes out the window and it just becomes a situation where ooh, we're paying to win. Like we're, we're donating all this money to win. You haven't got this tournament for four straight years. We just don't have a lot of confidence going forward. So that would be the big thing for Travis. You don't want to lose those big money people being on your side. Yeah, I mean, Paul Scruggs has 24 minutes of NCAA tournament experience, and he's a fifth-year senior. And, you know, you bring in Nunji, Jerome Hunter, you know, guys that have played in the NCAA tournament, Nate Johnson. Um, but as a Xavier player, Paul Scruggs is 24 minutes. That's it. Um, so, you know, that that's something that we don't need to keep beating the drum there. Everybody knows, you know, but but that's something that they, they got to do. And that leads into the question, what do you think the ultimate legacy is that Paul Scruggs leaves behind? Um, I, I think he'll be Xavier's first five-year player. I think. I can't think of any. I couldn't think of anybody else. Well, no one else was allowed to play five years, right? I mean, you could have redshirted and been a fifth-year senior, yeah. but you only had four years of eligibility in the past. So he has five years. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. But he could be potentially the first savior player ever to beat Cincinnati four times. You think of everything that Paul Scruggs has taken Xavier through with the coaching change. Um, 
you know, with COVID, all these moving parts with last year, and then he decides to come back. I think he's not somebody that's going to get his jersey retired, but he's somebody that I think in my mind, maybe, and th- and this could be a little bit of ex- exaggeration, could be one of the more impactful players the last 25 years, just of everything that he has seen and experienced and carried through and is still here and still on the roster. And especially the reasons that he gave for coming back, you know, wanting to be a part of the program, wanting to get back to the NCAA tournament, those things that he really values, you know, that people, fans always wonder, you know, do the players really care? Do they want to just go play professionally? Do they want to go to Europe? Do they want to go to the NBA? Whatever, however you may have it. And he wants to come back. He wants to play in the NCAA tournament. And that dedication, I think, is he gets you a lot of goodwill. And, uh, you know, he's he's taken them through a really, really rocky period of Xavier basketball. And now this year, as you were just saying a minute ago, has a chance to see all of that come to fruition. Well, I don't know if there's ever been a player that I wanted to see have a chance to make a run more than Paul Scruggs, you know, because he has done it the right way. He has been about the fans. He does care about winning. He's super competitive. I think Xavier fans are smart enough to look at Paul Scruggs' career, look at what he's done, look at how he's interacted with fans, realize that he came back to try to get things right and try to do it the right way and and, and leave his legacy, that I don't think anyone will ever look at Paul Scruggs and be like, oh, his time was a failure at Xavier or think that he didn't live up to expectations. But at the same time, if we're talking about the legacy that you leave as a player, a lot of it has to do with winning teams. If he never played for a team that made a run in the NCAA tournament, he's not going to be remembered like the other important players in Xavier history. That's just a fact. I'm I'm not taking shots at him at all. It's not all on him by any means, but I, I think, yeah, for Paul's legacy to really be like a guy that was remembered at Xavier and talked about as one of the, the better players in school history, Xavier has to win some games in the tournament. I'm not saying they have to get to the second weekend, but you better have at least one tournament win here. And that way you can remember him as the guy who got things rolling again, hopefully, if nothing else. I think he deserves that because, like you said, he's done it all the right way. He stuck it out and it all means a lot. He really cares about this fan base and they seem to really care about him. You've seen all the things on Twitter with like the little kids who come to the games and take pictures with him and wears jerseys for their birthday and all that type of stuff. Like, it's a cool dynamic between him and this fan base. And for me, that's why I want him to go out with a positive vibe here in a senior year. Yeah. And then off of that a little bit, um, the next question was about the guard rotations. Uh, how would you handle the guard rotations? And would you rather have Paul or Dewan as a primary lead guard? Last night, Dewan, I thought, showed a lot of flashes, has a lot of athleticism. Paul has the experience, you know, as a fifth-year senior, uh, Rick, how do you answer this? This is something that's going to come up nonstop. I can already see like people are setting this up to be the reason <laughs> that Travis hasn't coached well enough and that the team is struggling. If, if they do struggle, it's been nonstop since the end of last year. I don't see this as being the issue that everyone else does. To me, it's not about who's your point guard because I think they're both point guards. To me, it's more about yep. how do you get your best five players on the court and your the best chemistry out of that group. And if that means Dwan is in the lineup, he's playing point when he's in the game. You're not moving to the two. So yeah, if that means Dwan needs to be on the court, I'm all for that because I do think they're probably best with Dwan Odom on the board. Personally, if it's me, and this is the way I always am, I'd rather play four guard slash wings. I would want to go small most of the time except for certain matchups. So I would find a way to have Dwan, Paul, and whether it's Nate or Adam, I don't really care, either one of those two, and then Colby at the four with the way he's rebounding. That would be my preferred lineup 
pretty much from the jump. So to answer the question, I guess, yeah, I think DeWan would be better as the point guard because I think he allows you to get your best players on the court all at once. I get people's points. Like Paul, a little more rough around the edges, not as skilled of a playmaker. Not He's more of a scorer now than a playmaker. So, yeah, I get why people like Dwan running the point, but Paul is fine as a point guard too. I don't think the yeah. issue is he can't play point guard. Like last year, he, he was the best assist man in the Big East. So it's not like he can't he can't run the show, but I do think Dwan gives you probably your best lineup when you can get him on the court. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And I think that kind of goes into one of the other questions we had about a small ball lineup. Um but, but yeah, I think Xavier has a chance with a lot of guards and a lot of spend. They, they're going to want to shoot this year. And I think that's going to be another question. You know, do the threes go in this year? And and hopefully for Xavier, for their success to be able to stretch the court, they do. Um, but uh, let's get into our next one. Okay, so if you're, an, <laughs> if you're assembling an NBA Jam roster, what current two players would you pick to be on your team? Go ahead. Colby and Fremantle. Yeah, that I, I was going to say Colby. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see how you could really go with anybody else on that. Maybe, I mean, maybe maybe Paul, maybe Paul and Colby, because you have enough length and toughness there between those two that you feel like you can guard big men in an NBA jam scenario and you can still read yeah. them enough because Paul's like six eleven wingspan or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, I think Colby's got the size now. Yeah. I could make an argument for Paul and Colby to have two guards out there and a little bit more shooting, but Fremantle and Colby, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah that and then uh which player leads the team in text this year uh Fremantle's gonna be out for a while so there'll be some room for everybody else to kind of make up some ground Kunkel did his best JP McCure impression last night during the exhibition he got him started with a tech by elbowing a guy in the mouth apparently which I didn't even see someone on the board just told me that this morning so um I totally missed it but yeah so Kunkel uh if we're counting preseason he's up one to nothing I'm gonna go White Jalen Reynolds, though, Zach Fremantle still. I still think even though he gets a late start, I think he's going to be the technical guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't see any reason to disagree with, with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, in recent seasons, we've seen Xavier struggle with small, quick guards. Last year, uh, we struggled against strength, especially inside and on the defensive glass. What type of personnel do you see giving Xavier trouble this season? Yeah, same thing as last year. It's going to be yep. big front courts. You're, you're concerned about the rebounding, how they defend the interior still. Those are still all the questions I have. It's really, it's a lot of the same guys from last year. They tried to upgrade the front court a little bit in their size by adding Jerome Hunter and Jack Nunji. We'll see how that, that works. I, I think they've upgraded at least slightly, but we'll see how much. So th- that's still my concern. And this isn't a matchup thing, but if we're throwing out our biggest concerns, it's that and then the three-point shooting. So those are kind of the big yeah question marks I have going into the season and we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's interesting looking at this team kind of as a whole, and you think there's been so much positivity and and so much excitement about this team coming into this year. But when you really break it down, it's a lot of the same guys from last year. Now everybody's seemingly gotten better. Colby's gotten a lot bigger. Paul's back. You know, hopefully he's healthy. Nate Johnson, healthy, you know, Ben Stanley, healthy, but it's a lot of familiar names. Jack Nungy, he's going to have to slot in there and prove that he's healthy again. But you know, this was this was a bubble team last year that missed the tournament, and you're not bringing the exact same team back, but you're bringing a lot of the same team back. And you know, for all of the excitement and everything that everybody is is having going into this year, you know, they'll be better than being a bubble team. They should be a lot better than being a bubble team, but it's still a lot of the same personnel that's just improved over the off season. 
my brain might be broken because I've been a Reds and Bengals fans for so for so long. But whenever the answer to getting better is just, well, the guys we have are going to play better next year. I get worried because that's like putting the Bengals yeah. and red solution forever. Right. And that's never, been my whole worry of the off season. Yeah. It never works out that way. Now I'm not comparing Xavier to those two godforsaken franchises on any <laughs> level, because it's very different. The success the, the commitment to success, all of those things are very different at Xavier. So I'm not at all saying they're the same. Yeah. And I don't expect the same results, but there is a little bit of concern of like, okay, you, you couldn't shoot from three well enough last year. What's the reason that you're going to be better this year? Well, because you're thinking guys will shoot better percentages. Just just like Adam Cook was a better yeah. shooter than he showed last year, right? I agree with that. But he still has to go do it. And the front court, I do think you, you've you upgraded to a certain extent, but there's still very much question marks. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at on, on that whole situation. All right, Rick, anything else more about this team? Any, any other news, notes, nuggets, anything recruiting-wise anybody should know um, before we wrap this up? The early signing period starts uh, about a week from now, I think. Is it like on the 10th? Yeah. It's the 6th. I think it starts on the 10th yeah. and rolls through a week. So um, that'll be coming up here soon. Obviously, there's one more guy out there in the 2022 class. If you've been on the message board at all, you realize Desmond Claude, a 6'5 point guard from the New England area, uh, going to one of the prep schools up there, Putnam Science Academy, is the main target. So they're still in there on him. And I think things are trending in the right direction. I'll have uh, anything else in terms of updates there on, on the message board, but that's really it at this point. All right. Well, for Rick, um, Paul's season gets underway on Tuesday. Rick's going to be at NKU, Xavier after. Uh, are you going to be at Xavier after? Or are you just watching? I'll just watch. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll be there. I'm the uh, in arena host this year for, I think we're, we're splitting it, but I'll be, I'll be the host. So if anybody wants a t-shirt. Joseph Auto Group, Balt. I, I don't know. Joseph Auto Group. They might have gotten free advertising. I don't know if it's Joseph Auto Group back again this year. But if you want a T-shirt, so. a ball, yeah, sure. So we'll be doing that. Looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun at Cintas this year. Uh, and everybody, thanks for listening.